Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Kyle Brandt's Basement. Thrilled to have you here. It's a Monday. Big, big, big week. Thanksgiving week. Stuff your face week. Football week. It's awesome. There's going to be a whole bunch of football games in just a few days. We just finished yesterday. I feel like Chargers Chiefs just ended, and we get games in a few days. It's really fun. And you know what the best part is? The Lions are good. (laughs) Normally they suck. In this time of year, we're all saying, why do we have to have the Lions every single year, not this year? Lions, Bills, that's a little tasty. I'm into that. I'm way into that. We're going to talk about all that, usual stuff. Are you having a better day than Zach Wilson, quarterback of the New York Jets? I bet you are. He's having a rough one. He is going through the classic media ringer, and it's all his fault. Terrible game, terrible press conference. You've heard everybody else. You've been watching shows, listening to podcasts all day. Everyone's destroying them. This one might too, just a little bit. Uh, I have thoughts on the Vikings. I have thoughts on the Eagles. I have a great takes on takes matchup today. It's what you show up for. Stephen A. Smith versus Michael Irvin. Who you got? Weigh in. I'll judge them. I'll grade them. And we'll crown a winner. And um, you see the Goonies house is on sale. The original Goonies house the data comes in on, on the zip line and they break the statue and mouth is talking in Spanish to the, the housekeeper. That house is on sale and it begs the question, of any house in any movie, TV show, anywhere ever, if you could have it, it's just given to you, you don't have to pay, you don't have to pay property taxes, nothing, you just get to live in that house. What house would you pick? What house would you pick? You can take anyone you want. Tony Soprano's house, the Batcave, or the Goonies house. We'll get into it. But first, we get into what I love. Oh wait, hold on, the shot. What are you kidding me? I, I think I made the last one. Skycam, please. Go to the Skycam. I'm going to do it quick. Off the wall. Here we go. Ah, front iron. Bring it back. What I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. Let's go. I love the version of the Eagles we saw yesterday. I love the Philadelphia Eagles and the way that they won. Now, it might be counterintuitive. You might say, what do you mean? They almost lost to the Colts. The Colts have an ESPN personality as their head coach. The Eagles would have lost two in a row. They had to come from behind and win ugly. That was not a great day for the Eagles. I disagree. We already know the Eagles can blow teams out. The Eagles have a lot of firepower. They have a great offensive line. They have a great defensive line. I like that they showed they could win that way. They're going to need to win that way a few of these weeks. They might need to win this that way in the playoffs. They may need to win that way in the Super Bowl. Ugly, come from behind, double-digit comeback on the road against a Colts team riding that sweet nectar of an interim head coach. You see it all the time. All the time. Teams with interim head coach, ESPN personalities or otherwise, take off. And I saw the stat that the, the, the week of the first coaching performance by the interim head coach, it's way up here. And then the second week, it's way down here. They get that ride, and then they fall off. The Colts showed up. The Colts were winning for almost the entire game. And the Eagles said, screw it. We're going to win this one. We already know the Eagles can blow teams out. They blew out the Vikings. They blew out the Commanders. I like to see them win ugly. It's like a boxer who sometimes just has to grab and scrap and claw and win on points and have a go to the cards. You can't always have that beautiful third-round knockout. I like the way they did that. I like that they did it with running. I like the way they did it with defense. The Eagles are top to bottom just absolutely loaded. They're going to be a tough out. They're going to be a really tough out. And then they just casually, as if it's no big deal, sign Linval Joseph and Adamic and Sue. 
two of the better defensive linemen of the last decade are just suddenly magically on their team in the middle of the season. In November, it's past the middle of the season. They're Eagles now. And they combined for a sack, and they made tackles, and they made plays, and that's they're playing the same position as Fletcher Cox. The team is so loaded and so talented. Oh, man. And the fact that they won on the road and they fought back this Colts ride, it, it's good. Like, I think teams that blow everybody out and just roll through everyone, be it college teams, certainly pro teams, if you win and this average margin of victory is, you know, you win by a couple touchdowns and eventually I feel like you get in a really tight game and you can panic. If you just blow through everybody and then all of a sudden it's the divisional round and some team that's gotten really hot and just comes right at you and goes up two touchdowns at halftime. They're up 13 points in the fourth quarter. I think those teams that have not played in the tough games panic. I think we've seen it before and they don't know what to do. The Eagles have seen it now. They know how to win that game. I like it. Right now we're sitting here and it's like, who else Who else do you love in the NFC? Just love. Is there anybody? Is there any team in the NFC that you don't just like but really love and say like, oh, that team could win the Super Bowl? Minnesota, we'll talk about them in a little bit. They're, you can't possibly love them. Dallas, do you love them? Lot to like. Nobody in the NFC West. Nobody in the NFC South. Nobody in the NFC North. It's the East, right? You don't love the Giants after yesterday. You can't love the Commanders, even if you like them. It's like the Eagles. They're the only team you're like, oh, man, they're loaded. Eagles Chiefs, Eagles Bills, who knows? Eagles Bengals, whatever the hell the Super Bowl would be, that's a game. Whoever plays the Eagles, it'll be a game. It's interesting, too, now, because they're so successful, and they have so many wins that the critics start to come out for weird things. Did you see this tweet out there today? I'm trying to remember. It was a verified account that tweeted it. And just came out and had this shot of Nick Sirianni at the end of the game, came up and said, easily the most unlikable coach in the NFL. And that shook me. I thought it was just somebody making a joke or trolling or whatnot. And then I said, do people really hate Nick Sirianni? I, I, I love Nick Sirianni. I'm way into Sirianni. And if you hate him, a couple of reasons. At the end of the game, at the end of the win, he got up on the bench. This is the head coach now and was facing towards the stands and screaming and fist pumping and whatnot. And I think some people might have thought he was doing that at the Colts fans or up to the stands. I think he was doing it to Eagles fans, of which there were a lot there in Indianapolis. And I think he was doing it because it was a really intense comfort behind game. And I think Nick Sirianni was really passionate about that game yesterday. Came out afterwards and had takes that he was basically furious that Frank Reich was fired and Frank Reich was a mentor of his and one of the most important people in his career. And he said, you don't want to know how I feel about him getting fired. And I think there's a subtext there about maybe how he feels about Jeff Saturday, or maybe not. Maybe he just says, look, it has nothing to do with Saturday. Frank Reich is my guy, and I wanted to coach against him, and I think it's BS that they fired him. So he was really emotional in it. But if you straight up hate Nick Sirianni, if you think he's the least likable head coach out of 32, Nick Sirianni showed up as a first-year head coach last year with an unproven quarterback and a roster in transition and made the playoffs. Straight up, year one. Year two, they have the best team in the NFC, maybe the entire league. They have the best record in the entire league. Don't argue with the results. And if you hate him because you think he's obnoxious and he represents all negative stereotypes about Philadelphia, good. He fits in. Have you seen those guys in that team? They're not shrinking violets. They win Super Bowls and put on ludicrous costumes and go on the Rocky Steps and scream stuff and throw beers into the crowd. Like, that's what they're all about, that team. He's a perfect fit. You, you think there's no one 
less likable in the NFL at head coach than Sirianni? I can name some names for you. <laughs> Are you kidding? I love Sirianni. And also, it's like Sirianni put in the work. Sirianni put in the time. This is a guy who played at Mount Union. You know Mount Union? Where I went to and played college football, there's guys you'd run into who played at Mount Union. We scrimmaged against Mount Union once, if I remember him right. Maybe it was, I think we did. It's a long time ago. But he played at Mount Union, and then it's just stop after stop after stop. He starts up at the Chiefs in 09. Assistant quarterbacks coach, assistant quality control coach, wide receivers coach, offensive quality control coach, quarterbacks coach. Now he's with the Chargers. Worked his way up. That's a coaching lifer. That's a guy who talks a lot, who has a little bit of a Michael Scott thing going where sometimes I start a sentence and I have no idea where it's going to end up. I just go with it. That's him. But I like it. And the Eagles like it. If they didn't, if they thought he was obnoxious, they wouldn't be 9-1 and one right now. They wouldn't be winning road games from behind. Just not how it works. Come on now. Sirianni, you really don't like him? Don't, don't you get a kick out of him? Even if you don't get a kick out of his personality, even if you think he's a D-bag or obnoxious, look at his record. Look at his record since Century League. It's unbelievable. And it's not like a Matt LaFleur thing where he just comes in in the middle of Aaron Rodgers' prime and just rides it to this beautiful record one year after another. No, he came in as Jalen Hurts was not a thing. And the Eagles' old guard, like Lane Johnson and Kelsey and whatnot, we don't even know if they're still hanging around. We don't know if they still have it. They do still have it. Jalen Hurts is a thing, and part of the reason both those things are true is because they're head coach. I like Nick Sirianni. Don't bleep with Nick Sirianni. Not on this show. I like him. But let me tell you something I hate. Let's get into it. Here's what I hate. Come on. I don't hate the Vikings, but I'm not speaking to them right now. I'm not even mad at the Vikings. I'm disappointed in the Vikings. As far as I'm concerned, the Vikings are grounded. Not time out, not go sit in the corner and face the wall. Get your butt up to your room, close the door, and don't slam it. And I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you. Don't come out and say I need water. Don't come out and say I need to go to the bathroom. Don't come out and say I can have a, can I have a toy. Get in your room and just get out of my sight. No phones, no tablets, no Nintendo Switch. Just sit up there and stew in it and think. Why don't you write yourself a little journal entry or paint a picture or do a drawing with crayons or play with toys. I just don't even want to see you. I, I am so disappointed in the Vikings. I, I'm so mad at them. And, and it's so true to form that we have. This, when you ground your kid, as I'm grounding the Vikings right now, it's tricky to do it this time of year because it's Thanksgiving and you want to say to your eight-year-old, you're up there, don't come out of your room, you don't get TV, you don't get this, you don't get this, you're going to learn from this. But you can't do it around Thanksgiving because you got grandma and Aunt Patty and they're flying into town and maybe and so you end up just saying screw it, let the kid come out. Or even worse during the holidays or even worse when it's my son and his birthday is December 3rd. You can't ground your kid around Thanksgiving and their birthday and Christmas, it just doesn't work. So, true to form with that, guess what? The Vikings play in three days. We have to let them out of their room so they can play a game against the Patriots on Thanksgiving. But it's BS, and I'm going to tell you, the audience, I don't care if the Vikings win that game 200 to nothing. They're still grounded. They're not back. They're not back in our good graces. No, I don't care. It's like when your kid goes up and is to stay in his room, and he comes out and he says, um, I, I wrote you a letter about what a great parent you are, or I wrote down what I think I need to do better. It's all just this butt-kissing performance act. 
because they don't really want you to know what a great parent you are. They don't really want you to know that they learn from their mistakes. They want to come out of their room and play with their Nintendo and join the rest of the fun in the house. But they don't deserve that. The Vikings don't deserve that. You got to learn. So the Vikings are just out of here. I, I, I'm not even going to watch that game on Thursday versus the Patriots. I don't care if they win by one, by 100. It, they're off. I'm so disappointed in them right now. The fact that they could lose to that Cowboys team 40 to 3. It's not even that they lost. I would like them to win that game after beating the Bills and you come home and everyone's trying to see if they should take you seriously or not. But you know what? Shoot, it's a tough game. You lose 31 to 27. You lose 31 to 30 on a last second field goal. Fine, it happens. You're tough. You went toe to toe and you got beat by a pretty good Cowboys team. 40 to 3? I should kick you out of the house. You should be on your own with a knapsack hitchhiking down the road. Get out of the house. I stuck up for you. I spoke out for you. I said you're for real. I said you're going to stay in the playoffs this year. I said, oh, this is not your older brother's Vikings team. It is. It is your older brother's Vikings team. It is. It's, there's this pattern where you do something great, and then it's a debacle. You get an A in school, and then you get an F. You can't even get the B or the C. Every great thing is followed by disaster. And when you get some loudmouth idiot who goes in the media and says, no, 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 that's over. I, this Vikings team is different. They, they can play some defense and they got the best offensive huddle in the entire league. 40-3. to three. Justin Jefferson, pfft. Dalvin Cook, pfft. Kirk Cousins, pfft. Kevin O'Connell, So upset with them. So disappointed with them. Can't even look at them. I can't, I can't look at a Vikings logo. I can't even listen to a Prince song. I don't want anything to do with any of them or their 10,000 lakes or any of that crap right now. As far as I'm concerned, they have a seven-week bye. None of the games matter until they get to the playoffs. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be there. They're in, guys. They're probably going to have a home playoff game in that same stadium. They just lost 40-3 to to Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy. They'll probably win the North. And they're probably going to have a home playoff game. But until then, you can just stay in your room and I'll put some, some saltine crackers under the door and some tap water. But I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you. I stuck my neck out for you. Won't happen again. We'll, we'll see how I feel come January. Vikings fans, even you must be exhausted. You're doing your skull clap. You probably got a skull in and your front lip. You're feeling good. Cowboys are coming. Cowboys are always pushovers. They're fake tough guys. We'll slap them around. 40 three at least you should have just gotten shut out at least there's a dignity in in the cleanliness of a shutout that three-point pathetic field goal oh do you know that's the largest margin of victory for a cowboys road game ever ever in their history roger Staubach and troy aikman and tony romo none of those guys ever won a road game by 37 points this team did and i don't even congratulate them i'm not doing it right now i'm blaming the vikings Get up to your room, shut the door, and if you slam the door, you're going to stay there for a month. Don't even, I'm going to listen at the bottom of the stairs. If that door slams, believe me, you're going to hear my feet running up the stairs to kick it open and scream at you. That's it. Minnesota Vikings, I hate the way this went down. I just hate it. Do you know that CBS cut away from that game? That probably should have been what's hilarious. CBS, who got a Cowboys game. They don't get Cowboys games on CBS. Those are Fox games. They got Cowboys-Vikings. 
two great records, biggest game of the week, and through some sort of network, I don't know how they separate these things, CBS got the game. That was their biggest game. They spent so much of their pregame show talking about it, three and a half minutes of which was me on the CBS pregame show blabbering about it. That is a prized possession in the middle of the season, right before Thanksgiving week. CBS, the Tiffany Network, we got Vikings Cowboys. And it was so bad, it was so bad that in a, in a control room somewhere or in some ivory tower or some conference room, they said, enough, tap, no moss, get the hell off this game. Someone get in Jim Nance's ear and tell him we're taking the coverage away to go to a different game. And they get James Brown to come in there, the venerable James Brown, to come out and say the thing. Well, folks, uh, things have gotten away from the uh, Minnesota Vikings here. So we are going to take you to more competitive action. They broke away. And to what? To Kenny Pickett. You go to Kenny Pickett, the rookie Steelers quarterback on a bad Steelers team, just going back and forth with the Bengals. It wasn't as if they had this other masterpiece to go to. It was the right move to go to it. But can you imagine that's what they had to do? Look, I work for CBS. I love those people. And I know how much this game meant to them and how much they were really trying to make it a massive thing. And Nance and Romo were there, the pregame show, and just awful. It's like in the tournament when, like, they don't do that in NFL games. Not like that. In the, you watch the NCAA tournament and you're watching it on True TV or wherever they've put the ninth tier games. And they'll say, like, well, folks, uh, we're at Creighton versus um, George Mason or George Madison. His, uh, James Madison. His guy was George Madison. Creighton versus James Madison has gotten a little out of hand. So we're going to keep you posted on that one. But meantime, let's go to more competitive action. That's fine. That's some like play-in game or the round of 64 and you don't really care and there's some kids for James Madison bricking 20-footers. This was, this was the Cowboys. And they said, enough. We can't subject our people to this, how bad it is. And again, don't blame CBS. I don't blame the Cowboys. I blame the Vikings. Get up to your room. Let's talk about what's hilarious. I gotta get out of here. Come on, what's hilarious? All right, so I talked a lot about Zach Wilson in the Sunday night show, that he was just such, just so terrible on the field, should have been pulled out of the game. Robert Sala, I think, blew it and not pulling him. And then just even worse after the game with this not taking accountability and all that just, not my fault, defense, no, I did my thing, whatever. So I could hit that again, or I could try to take a different tack. After all, this says what's hilarious, and there was nothing hilarious about Zach Wilson. What is hilarious, though, is his teammates trying to walk back their social media. This is great. So, um, John Franklin Myers and Sauce Gardner both had likes. They'd liked tweets that pointed out Zach Wilson's post-game shortcomings or highlighted other quarterbacks like Josh Allen who handled themselves better. So, immediately after the game, people should say, oh, my God. John Franklin Meyer, Sauce Gardner, they like this tweet that is not reflecting well on how their quarterback acted. In this era of media, that's a story. If a player, his verified account, approves of a tweet that says negatively of his teammate, you ask him about it. Okay, so 
John Franklin Myers, this is great. Both these guys get into the backpedal, which makes sense for Sauce. John Franklin Myers tweets, Jets Twitter, I ain't mean to like that tweet. We got faith in Zach for sure. Y'all stop looking for problems. We got seven games left the ball and then a laughing emoji. John, you're so full of it. What do you mean you mean to like the tweet? It's very simple. There's no, there's no this accidental liking. There's a little heart and you hit it and it lights up and it animates and it says a little plus one and it turns red like a Zelda heart. And if you do unlike the, if you do accidentally like the tweet, or maybe you just like it and then say, nah, I changed my mind. You hit it again and you unlike it or dislike it or whatever the term is. There's none of this like, ah, I didn't even know that I liked that tweet. I don't, maybe once in a year you do that, but not right after the game. Sauce Gardner was trying the same stuff. Sauce, Sauce came out and says, I swear I didn't mean to like this tweet. I only found out because y'all started tagging me. We're going to be straight. What do you mean you didn't mean to like it? Then why did you? Do you not have any manual dexterity with your thumbs at all? Are you just sloppily swiping through your timeline? Oh, he follows up. This is great. Sauce Gardner in his closing argument. <clears throat> I've not read this yet, so I'm reading it cold with you. If I liked it purposely, Sauce tweets, I just wouldn't have said anything. I always mistakenly like tweets on here, but y'all made sure y'all caught this one. Y'all toxic on here. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Sauce, you're always mistakenly liking tweets? Then you don't know how to use the app. That's also a dangerous habit. Who knows what you could like? You could like something a lot worse than your quarterback didn't have a good post-game press conference. There's some nasty stuff out there. Sauce, you're a cornerback for the Jets. You might be a rookie of the year. What if it's some crazy political thing? What if it's some crazy off-color thing that someone in your timeline retweets that's offensive and Sauce Gardner likes it? The like thing is big. People are looking at what you like. They care what you like. So... You either got to stop swiping so haphazardly. Maybe when you're putting your thumb down, it's landing on the like button. I'm trying really hard for you here, dude. Really hard. But uh, if if that's the case, you got to move the thumb. You can't put it where that heart is, and you can't put it where those little upside down and right side up arrows are, because that means retweet. This isn't that hard. I mean, look it. I got my app right here. If we go to... My timeline, all right, there is um, Kyle Brandt's basement. There's Scott Hansen. All right, so there's a tweet from Scott Hansen right there, okay? Now, if I'm just going to swipe to the next tweet, which is something from The Onion, I'm not accidentally liking unless on the Scott Hansen tweet I say, oh, let me just swipe. Oop. Like, that doesn't even work. It, oop, I liked that one, liked that one. And notice when you like it, there's like this little heart explosion even. Like it, it, it blows up like a firework. You know when, they, when you're liking something. How fast are you going through this stuff, guys? Don't talk to me about accidentally liking tweets. That's not an excuse. That doesn't work. Could it be more likely that in the aftermath of a really great defensive performance by the Jets' defense in which they constantly, constantly were leading to sacks or turnovers or three and outs for the Patriots, only to go over to the bench, sit down, put their helmet down, and then have to get right back up in two seconds because Zach Wilson had another three and out. 
Could it be that once they saw that Zach Wilson said, no, I didn't let the defense down, that they saw some tweets and willingly liked them emotionally or even spitefully because they agreed with them? What's more likely, that and then 24 hours later they're hearing from it from the Jets PR guy and they hear it from in public and they're going into their backpedal and their denial or that they just didn't even know that they hit them? I think we know which is more likely. And I think we know how they feel, and I think we know how they should feel. It's just, I, I'm not here for the accidental liking of the tweets. Do you accidentally like tweets? You, the viewer, are you like, oh man, I had no idea I liked that tweet at all. That, that thing from, oh, I don't know, uh, Mitt Romney. I, I, someone retweeted him on my timeline, and I liked it, and now I'm pulled into all these political things. Who knows? Ted Cruz, Elon Musk. Baskin Robbins, whatever the hell account comes up in front of you, do you accidentally like it? <laughs> no way, right? It doesn't happen. Maybe sometimes, but not right after the game in which the circumstances are overwhelmingly in support of that being the way you really feel. That's hilarious to me. We tried to find something hilarious for Zach Wilson. We just went deep into Twitter minutia, right into the weeds. Scott Hansen and The Onion, I love you. But let's move on to something else. Let's move on to... Something else that's hilarious. Let me get my numbers, because it's time for Takes on Takes. Let's ride. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all the bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business? No problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pick a card, any card, pick a number, any number. In fact, I will pick the numbers, but um, I, 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 my hand is forced. Whatever the quality of the rant is, whatever the degree of delivery, creativity, and heat that comes in on each take, We'll get the number, I judge them, and then we go against each other. First up, Michael Irvin, a colleague of mine uh, for the NFL Media Group, a guy who I was with a couple times in Munich, Germany, a couple weeks ago. We were at a soccer game together. Uh, we split a bowl of gummy bears together, not making that up. And I know him a little bit. He was on ESPN's first take, talking about yesterday, yesterday's Cowboys blowout of the Minnesota Vikings. Go on, Irv. The Dallas Cowboys played almost the perfect game yesterday. The perfect game. And, and, and the game flexed its muscles in so many beautiful ways. You saw the physicalness of the Dallas Cowboys. You saw the explosiveness of the Dallas Cowboys. You saw the calculating, mind-setting, play-calling of Dak Prescott right at the line of scrimmage of the Dallas Cowboys. You saw a suffocating, dominating defense that stopped all things that you tried. It was almost, if not the most perfect game. That game, I know they took 
they took uh, Justin Jefferson's glove and they put it in the Hall of Fame. That game film should be in the Hall of Fame, too. I saw a team play the perfect football <laughs> game, and no doubt in my mind that that team that I saw said we are the best team in the National Football League. We ain't got to talk about how y'all went all after Dak last week. Everybody went after Dak. Dak got to stand up and show he a man. He has to lead this team right now. He has to show he can beat this team. And you said it because you had no faith, no faith that he could do it. But Dak has always been a great overcomer, overcomer. And he's always over-delivering. It's one thing to build overcomer. That means you get over things. But when you overcome and over-deliver, that's a whole nother statement. And that's why Dak is going to always come out on top. I'm going to yield the floor and let other people talk. But I want you all to talk from an understanding. That's a perfect game. And I don't want to hear any noise, not any rippling noise from nobody talking about, oh, Minnesota wasn't that good. Don't y'all try to back y'all tongues in the back of y'all throat and roll those words out of y'all mouth. <laughs> talking about, oh, my God, Minnesota really ain't that good. You saw a dismantling of one of the best teams, if not the best team, in the National Football League. And I want to hear about the perfection that the star displayed Yes, <laughs> the, the, the hail to the chief was a nice touch by the first take uh, production truck. That's Mike just on automatic pilot. What we just heard, I've seen it myself. I've been on sets with Michael Irvin. He could do that for like 40 minutes without stopping. With no water, no deep breath, just going. He can just talk about the Cowboys like that. I don't even think it has to even be after a win. It could just be any time. Week 2 loss. Week 15 loss. Week 9 win. In the offseason, Mike, go on the Cowboys. Blah, 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 blah. I like at one point where he said, I'm going to yield the floor so you all can talk. You don't hear the phrase yield the floor. I feel like we're in uh, Parliament in the 17th century with guys wearing wigs and stuff. And then I like also that after he said, I'm going to yield the floor, he kept talking for another minute. <laughs> I found myself watching that clip too. Just never mind Stephen A, who's kind of just in, the, in that whole sketch that they're doing. I found myself thinking about Orlovsky a lot, who's just sitting there, and he's bemused, I think is the word, and he knows what time it is, and he knows that Mike is going to do this in the Cowboys, and Stephen A is going to do this. But my thing, like, Dan is like, I, I got an incredible four-minute breakdown of Dak Prescott on third downs in the red zone I can perform for you, but I think I'll just sit here and watch WrestleMania. And then I also think a lot about Molly. What At what point does she say, like, I got to get in here. Because the producers are talking to her, and they're on a clock, and it's a live show. So the segment's only so long. Mike has to do his thing, and then Stephen A, and I'm sure, is going to do his whole thing. And then Dan has to contribute, and Molly has to tie it all together. So what is she thinking? Is she thinking, like, oh, God, I'm going to have to jump in on this guy at some point? Or the producer's telling me to, but I'm just going to ignore it. Or is she thinking about, like, what she's going to have for dinner that night? I might be doing that. I don't know, but... um Yield the floor really cracked me up. I like that Mike hit like four different voices that he was doing when he was talking about the calculating manipulation of the play call. He was going into like a nerdy voice and then he was going down into this voice. If you like that, if you are into 
the um, pro wrestling monologue, which I deliver sometimes myself, that it's tough to get much better than that. That's that's the goods. That's what you t- if you're like, ooh, the Cowboys won by a lot in a big game. I can't wait to watch first take tomorrow and hear Michael Irvin talk about it. That guys is a nine. That's a really high score. Michael Irvin has had five takes on take appearances and he has never lost. <laughs> How about that? He's 5-0. Oh. And he averages 7.1. This is now his second nine. And it's the highest score. I've never given a 10 in takes on takes. I guess he didn't hit... The only thing I wish he would have done... What, kept, what would have kept him from being a 10? If he would have had a funnier laugh out loud moment, there's a couple, but only like unintentional. Yields the floor makes me laugh. And then what I like about Irvin's takes, I like that when he clearly almost ham-handedly goes to the research card to cite a statistic, that cracks me up. When he's just going about how good the Cowboys are and how about Dalton Schultz is 63% effective in the red zone. like that, that makes me laugh because it's so TV production and it's not Mike. But if he would have done that, I would have given him a 10. And if he would have like just absolutely brought the house down with a joke or a funny line. But look, a 9 is a 9. Which means, alright, here we go. Stephen A. Smith, former college basketball player. Told me once about how he was um, surrounded by drug dealers as a young kid and they used to look out for him and say, no, you're not going to do this. You're going to go play basketball. And if they hadn't, he thinks he'd be dead right now. I like Stephen A. But does he have a 9 in him? Or does he have a 10 for the win? Just a little context here. Stephen A has also been on takes on takes five times. He's only 2-3. and three. He has, does not have many wins and his average score is a 6. So, here we go, guys. Stephen A... Needs to get a 9 for the tie, 10 for the win. Stephen A. on the 2022 Dallas Cowboys. Go ahead. It's a beautiful day for you. Beautiful day. Michael Irvin. I thought I, I thought the name's for you. Michael Irvin. Allen Iverson. Omar Epps. Okay, <laughs> let's throw him in there, too. That's my brother, great actor. Love him to death, but that dude, he didn't, didn't FaceTime me and text me getting on my last <laughs> damn nerve. Jamie Foxx, I know I'm going to hear from him sometime today. Denzel, he's in, he's, he's, he's out yeah, the country filming, filming the lives of three, you know what I'm saying? So it's different. Oh, I know I'm going to hear from some people. Under normal circumstances, it would be a very, very bad day for me. And I must confess that last night it was because I was like, damn. I got to listen to this dribble this morning. I got to deal with this stuff all week. Dallas Cowboys looking this way. People talk about they're the best team in football. They're going to catch the Eagles because the Eagles look like they're struggling right now. Don't get me started with the Giants and all of this other stuff because I expect them to get smashed on Thanksgiving Day. All of this other stuff. Then I paused. I took a deep breath. You know? Went and sat in the sauna, Dan Olavsky. Sat in the sauna. Sweat it out. Right. Sweated it out. (laughs) Then I came out, and I remembered something. Whenever we have high expectations for the Cowboys is when Uh they show us who they are, and they crash like a bag of cheap bricks. If you're the Cowboys and you did that yesterday, what's stopping you from doing this when the games (laughs) count? We know what's going to stop them. Pressure breaks pipes, baby. 
Oh, that was good. I like that he didn't reply to the screaming with the screaming. That was very smart. They hit the different beats. Um, <laughs> I went and sat in the sauna, Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> Orlovsky's sitting there being like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, pressure breaks pipes. If they do that now, he, he was in this almost sort of like naughty Stephen A, like a sing-songy voice. You don't hear him talking that much. This is tough. I just figured he would unload and they'd go back and forth and Stephen A would lose nine to eight. I like that take. But there wasn't a ton of bite to it. It was just amusing. He was just, his whole take was, yeah, the Cowboys look amazing, but, you know, that's usually when they suck. So they probably will soon, which is good. Because what else are you going to say? How are you going to criticize the Cowboys after they won 40 to three? He was fighting a real uphill battle there. I think this is more a setup. This is a setup in the chess match so that a few weeks from now, when the Cowboys do come back to earth or when they do embarrass themselves or when they do get slaughtered like they just did the Vikings, then you then you jump across the table. Then you go up to the van. Then you come out. And right now, it's just like, I'm going to go in the sauna and I'm going to sweat it out, Dan Orlovsky. So I really respect Stephen A there, but that was an unwinnable fight. So I'm going to give him a solid seven. He's going to take another loss. He's not going to like going to two and four. Uh, I was amused, and that's the whole point. I was entertained by his content there. But in the takes on takes world, this was a David and a Goliath. You can't expect to beat Michael Irvin after a 40-3 win. Stephen A will have his day. It's just not today. Michael Irvin wins 9-7. That is takes on takes. Uh, There's not some things in the headlines, though, sometimes I'm not always aware of. And that's why we have a segment with Michael Flynn where he gives some of those headlines and we call it Brant Awareness. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Flynn. The LEDs look great. They're not related to Christmas. I understand whatsoever. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. How about yourself? I feel good. Um... Flynn, you you run the show here in so many ways. We uh, have usually it's Josh Allen Tuesday, but it's a little up in the air because the Bills play on Thursday. It's a really short week, and it's a bizarre week because they were in Detroit and they go home, they go back. Are you feeling optimistic that we will be able to pin down number seventeen of the Buffalo Bills to have our conversation this week? I, I am absolutely feeling optimistic. I don't know when. Uh, but I, I think that we will have him either tomorrow or Wednesday. My question for you, are you surprised that they went back to Buffalo? Wouldn't you just stay in Detroit? Yeah, I thought about that. And my, my wife asked me the same thing, that, okay, it, it was took so much upheaval to get there. Why wouldn't they just say, and guys, we're staying. Just pack everything, we're staying. I think, the, I think if it was anywhere else, they might have. I, I don't know it offhand, but I know Buffalo and Detroit are pretty damn close. I think that's a really short flight. So, listen, if they were playing 
even someplace as close as the Bears, or certainly if it was Denver or something like that. I think they do. But uh, two things, it's very close, and I think the weather is clear. So they're like, all right, as long as we are going to be there, look, no one wants to stay in Detroit for four or five days in the middle of November. Do respect Detroit. I love you. No one wants to. So you go back to Buffalo, sleep in your own bed. I was a little surprised, but I think they have a lot of people handling it, and it'll probably end up being the right decision. Fair enough. Let's uh, get into the headlines, shall we? Yeah. Let's start with the Chiefs, who we somehow haven't talked about today uh, very much. This is a great Sunday night football game last night, beating the Chargers 30-27. to Mahomes and Kelsey combining for three touchdowns. And before mm. the game, Mahomes met with the Fonz himself, Henry Winkler, quoting Winkler, quote, I just met one of my heroes, end quote. Kyle, your thoughts on the blowout and also your thoughts on the Fonz? Well, two great questions. Uh, it's to the Chiefs' credit that we have not talked to them in the show yet here. And there he is with Fonzarelli. I'll jump right to this. A couple things. Um, Fonzarelli, Henry Winkler, is one of these people who is known as, like, the nicest person on the planet. The kindest, sweetest, gentlest, most professional person who has been working in Hollywood for 50 years and... Every single person ever has great things to say about him. I have a modest Henry Winkler experience in which I worked with him. And he was, just like it sounds, just just so awesome. I was uh, working as a producer for Jim Rome for nine years. And one day we were doing some talk about jumping the shark. And it was something like people do. It was a lot more fresh of a topic and a phrase back then. And I don't even know, I think we might have been talking about the Rex Ryan Jets. And we just kept talking about jumping the shark, jumping the shark. And we were playing the clip on Jim's show of Fonzie jumping the shark, the audio of it. And it's this funny, silly audio. And um, the, the, the call screener at the time, I don't know if it was Jason Stewart or not, but he says, I have a guy on the phone who says that he's Henry Winkler. And I go, what? So... I take, I'm like, let me check it out. And I say, hello, this is Kyle. Who am I speaking to? Hello, Kyle. This is Henry Winkler. And I've been listening to the show and I'm just laughing about what Jim is saying about when I jumped the shark and uh, I would love to chat with him about it. And I said, well, it does sound a lot like Henry Winkler, but a lot of crazy people called the Jim Rome show. So you never know. So you, you do what you do, the standard playbook in that situation if you work in radio is uh, you go and you pull up some personal facts about the person like you go to Henry Winkler's wiki or whatever and you say what's your birthday and he nailed it right the date and the year what where were you born and I remember I remember vividly I said um, I said you uh, in what movie did you play um, a school teacher or what did I say I don't remember. I asked him a question about the movie Scream, the Wes Craven movie, which he is in. And um, he immediately got the question right. And I said, Mr. Winkler, it's so nice to talk to you. It's nice to talk to you, Kyle. And then he goes on the air. I say, I go to Jim. And then you got to do the thing as a producer where you open the door and you walk into the studio and maybe you're in a commercial break and, you know, you have like two minutes, two and a half minutes and you got to be quick and you got to be communicative. So I said to Jim... I know this is nuts, but you will not believe this. Henry Winkler, Fonzarelli, is on the phone. Now, remember, Jim's just been doing a whole, like, maybe 15-minute segment about Henry Winkler and comparing him to Rex Ryan and the, just jumping the shark. 
And he was like, come on, come on. How do you know it's him? And I'm like, I, I get why you would ask that. I just put him through the ringer a million times. It's him. It's him. And he goes, all right, let's do it. Come on a break. Winkler goes on the air. He's so delightful. He's funny, really funny, really witty, super articulate, has thoughts and just told the story of, of Potsy and Fonzarelli and jumping the shark. And he played into this whole inside joke that we've been building. All. It was just awesome. So uh, that's my own anecdotal way of saying that Henry Winkler is the greatest. And it's interesting to me that he would beat, meet Patrick Mahomes. As far as, I understand, as far as I understand, it came out on the Rich Eisen show that Winkler loved Mahomes. I think if I have that right, and he was telling Rich about it, and then it culminates in this moment. My question is this. Let's talk real about this. How does Patrick Mahomes know who Winkler is? What, in, what awareness does he have of Henry Winkler? Because I just can't imagine the generation that Mahomes is. He really knows anything about Happy Days. That's fine. That's like, that's like my parents' generation almost. All right, so it's not Happy Days. And then my next thought was, okay, oh, it's it's the Water Boy, Henry Winkler in the Adam Sandler movie is the football coach, and maybe Mahomes really knows the Water Boy. But even that movie came out when Mahomes, I think, was two or three years old. It's not like something he grew up with. And then, I mean, look, does Mahomes watch Barry on HBO? Is he into that? I don't know, maybe. It's the, the Bill Hader show, and Winkler is the, the drama teacher? I don't know. I have no idea. I would love to hear from Mahomes. He'll probably be asked about it this week, if he wasn't already, about, yeah, are you familiar with Henry Winkler's work? And I, I love that Winkler has a Mahomes jersey with Winkler on the back. Just awesome. Because, you know, the Chiefs fans, they have a very visible celebrity group. It's Paul Rudd and Eric Stone Street and Rod Riggle, um, all those guys. Like, um, there's more of them. I'm even forgetting, but I didn't. So they're really good to their celebrity fans. The Winkler thing is very funny to me, and I love Winkler, love Mahomes, and I just, of course, he beat the Chargers with three touchdowns of Kelsey because that's just what he does. But that's the question I would like to know: is how does how does Mahomes know Winkler? Or maybe he just doesn't. Maybe he's just being polite. Maybe someone says, "There's this guy. He's very famous." and He's like, oh yeah, I've seen the Water Boy, so I'll, I'll meet him. That's it, though. It's a very charming story. Flynn, do you have any any uh, any insight or any thoughts on maybe what Mahomes' impressions of Winkler are or familiarity with his career? Uh, I think unless he does watch Barry on HBO, I don't think he knows him. You mentioned the Water Boy; that's before his time. Uh, I yeah. know I know Winkler most. Happy Days is before my time. I know him from Arrested Development, which he's amazing at, but I don't think Patrick Mahomes knows that. Yeah. Uh, I think Adam Sandler brought him back for a cameo in Little Nicky, where he covered him in Bees mm. and Henry Winkler's fair game. I mean, if he was answering your security questions about himself, I imagine he's fair game yeah. for anything. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't think Patrick Mahomes knows who Henry Winkler is. Well, he does now. He's got a million fans, and maybe Winkler will be at the Super Bowl if the Chiefs are there again. Who knows? Uh, it's a charming story, though. I, I talk about Winkler, and I just smile. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, let's stick with the Chiefs. They lost McCole Hardman to the IR with an abdomen injury, so he was watching the yeah. late-game dramatics from home, live tweeting, and apparently live smashing. He said he threw his remote at the TV and then posted a picture to prove it. Kyle, you ever get in a situation like this? No, and I never will. Um, I think I smashed a couple PlayStation controllers as a younger man, but I saw the story about Miko Hardman, and he showed his broken TV. And then I saw that there's all these truthers out there that say he didn't break it, and that there is this video you can pull up or some sort of skin or something that you put on your TV that makes it look like it's broken. 
and that people are calling BS and that he just pulled that thing and it's not actually broken. That I can't speak to. I would just say, like, I guess the they won the game. So why would he smash it? Is it maybe when they got the last Chargers touchdown before the Mahomes touchdown? Strange doesn't totally add up either because there was like a minute and a half left and they were just down a few points and you figured Mahomes was going to probably come back, which he did. More importantly, I saw some people being like, oh, who cares? He's an NFL player. He can replace the TV in two seconds. It's not about that, guys. Of course he can get a TV. And the TV's, I'm looking at that TV. It looks like maybe a 60-incher. You could get one if you wanted to at Costco for a good one for probably 900 bucks. Like, it's not about that. It's about the huge pain in the butt it is to have it mounted. And unless you're good at that or you know how to do that, and Nicole Harbin's a pretty young guy, I'm going to be skeptical of whether he does, that's a whole day. You have to take down the old TV, pay someone to do that. You have to get rid of it and bring it, like, discard of it properly. And then you have to have the new one brought in, the new one wired, the new one mounted. The $900 or whatever the hell he's going to spend on that TV, that's, that's not the point. It's the hassle and the pain in the ass. And then if you procrastinate, then you have this broken TV on your wall. So I am so paranoid of TV mounting because I want it done so properly and I'm so bad at it that I have to have someone else do it. I would never break my TV. Not because I don't want to buy a new TV, more I just don't want to have to mount one. TV mounting is up there with hanging drapes as one of the most difficult, frustrating, challenging things in all of home decor. So if Nicole Hardman really did that, I hope he's just ready to pay someone to come in and do it because you don't want to mess with the TV mounting. It is it is a tough, tough game. Even all these years after the invent of the flat screen, it still sucks. I still hate doing it. Flynn, you're like, you strike me as like a DIY type guy. Can you do that stuff? Are you into mounting your own TV? No, not not at all. Yeah, you could be further from the truth. I, <laughs> you couldn't pay me to do it and you couldn't offer me any amount of money to learn how to do it right. It's just not in my skill set. Yeah. I, God bless you. I knew I liked you. I'm glad to hear yep. it. <laughs> uh, moving away from football, the house from Goonies has hit the open market. It is listed yep. at a whopping $1.65 million. It's all the way out in Astoria, Oregon. Kyle, uh-huh. that do anything for you? Not really. I, I like Goonies a lot. Um, I would more be more interested in purchasing the pirate ship or many other pieces of memorabilia from that show, the ice cream or the baby Ruth or uh, Sloth is Superman shirt. But it does. It here's what it does do for me. It does do for me. It begs the question of if I could just have my pick of any home, any domicile at all in any TV show or movie, what would I pick? And I came up with two. A contemporary one, very contemporary, the movie a few years back, Parasite, which I really liked, which won Best Picture. They had this beautiful modern home that was the very vision of uh, 2022, or at the time, 2019 affluence. And it was every piece of technology, and it was still gorgeous. And it was just, just I just found myself crushing on the house the whole time. Never mind that there are people living as like stowaways in the basement. I just liked the house. And then the child in me said Pee-wee's Playhouse because there's a talking chair and it's just everybody's on acid, I think. And it just looks so fun because I used to watch Pee-wee's Playhouse a lot. But not to bury the lead here, we asked you guys and you came through. You came through. What house from a TV show or movie would you pick? P.T. Thriller says, or P. Thriller says, Scarface. He lived in a pretty decent home, if I remember correctly. 
Obviously, it looked nicer earlier in the movie than later. Keith Thriller looking to live in a coke den, <laughs> which is lit up by machine gun fire and grenade launchers at the end of them. I think, I hear you, it's an opulent, um, very garish house down in Florida. It's not what I would pick, but I see we are working on that. What else did they say? We can do better than the Scarface house, guys. All right, now we're talking. James Broska says, Bernie Lomax's house, and including a picture. Bernie's, Bernie Lomax is weekend at Bernie's. And he has the most obnoxious, disgusting, late 80s Hamptons home that Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman go to and spend most of the movie traipsing around with a corpse. But I can see how if you're a little kid watching that movie, you're like, oh, that's the ultimate house ever. And you know what's great about that house? Sweet golf carts. By the way, as part of this hypothetical, all of the accoutrements that go with the house come with it in this, meaning you get the golf carts. If you want... Somebody asked online, if you get Wayne Manor, Bruce Wayne's house, do you get the Batcave? Hell yes, you get the Batcave. You get Alfred, too. You get everything that comes with it. So Bernie Lomax's house plays. Next. What else? Where do you want to live? You bring your family, you bring everything. Ah, Blazing KC. He saw my Pee Wee's Playhouse tweet, and he says, Pee Wee's Playhouse has every dope in the neighborhood stopping by every five minutes, though. That's true. You get Cowboy Curtis, who was a young Larry Fishburne. <laughs> He's always popping his head in. And then... um. Who else? Mr. McFeely? No, that's from that's from Mr. Rogers. Uh, Dottie was from the movie. There was just always people stopping by, and they would say the, the word of the day, and they would scream. So that's a little bit annoying. Plus, you have the claymation dinosaurs, and you have the Penny cartoons. But again, it's a huge acid trip. It's a party house. Susanna Callis says the Full House house. Now, the Full House house is in San Francisco. And I think that thing cost probably like 25 million bucks or something like that. So that's cool. It's right by the park. I don't know how the Tanners were paying for that. I mean, they're, what are they, a morning show hosts? And like Uncle Jesse's a musician and Uncle Joey is, isn't he like a comic or something? He does the Bullwinkle voice. Does that pay in the bills? Full house, maybe. Plus you got the Gibblers next door. That's not bad. Um, William Bay says, although we never got to see the house itself, Cameron's place in Ferris Bueller just for the glass garage overlooking the ravine with the Ferrari inside. That's a good submission. I'm familiar with that house. I grew up, um, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes from that house. I think it's in Highland Park, Highland Park, Illinois, very close to where the Bears facility is. And it's been on the sale recently. My mom, this is a very mom thing to do, sent me the listing. I think it was about 1.6 million, which is what I saw. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's Ferris even opines on Cameron's house at one point. He says, it's very beautiful, very cold, and you're not allowed to touch anything. Plus, the garage gets all bashed up. I hear you on, on, on the Fry home. Morris Fry, Cameron's father. Uh, what else? Inigo Montoya, Parrothead Luke. He goes, I'm living in the Grinch's cave. Interesting. There is a slide that takes you all the way down the mountain to town. And when you want to go home, you can dump it to crump it. I don't know the last reference. I don't know what that means. I know the Grinch's cave, and he goes all the way down to Whoville and Cindy Lou and Yahoo Dore and all that. It always just struck me as it'd be very difficult to get all the way back up to the top of his house. I don't know what dump it to crump it means. I need to catch up on my... I don't really like Dr. Seuss generally, and the Jim Carrey movie's obnoxious. But the new Grinch movie, my kids watch sometimes. So I dump it to crump it. I don't get the reference. Any other houses? DJ and KC... Seinfeld's apartment. I'm gonna live in Seinfeld's apartment. Wacky neighbors, sure. New York City hustle and bustle, count me in. All right, modest choice. 
Um, a lot of cereal to be had, a lot of Superman paraphernalia, nice little open floor plan before they were everywhere. I, I would just say, if you got any anything in the world, any house ever, you could go with Tony Stark's house in Malibu. I, you want the Seinfeld apartment? <laughs> I just make a big grab here, DJ. It's a hypothetical. I, maybe just you want the nostalgia of that, and there's board games in the background. I get it. Anybody else have someplace they want to take a reach for? All right. I'm looking at a craftsman-style joint. This guy, Joe Tuiana, says, I'll take Doc Brown's mansion on Riverside Drive in Hill Valley. Comes with a DeLorean. Doc's, Doc Brown's house was really cool. And it's got this long driveway and all this uplighting. It's very dramatic. And he's got his laboratory in there. I don't, I don't know what kind of crap he has in there coming with it, but it is this awesome-looking California-style craftsman house. It looks like the lodge at Torrey Pines was where I got married. Not to brag, but I like Doc Brown's. That's a good one. I, I still feel like we're missing some ringers, though. Here we go. All right. Brandon Jeffrey. Jeffrey. I don't know how to... Can't people just be named Smith and Johnson? Thank you, Brandon. Got to be the Stark Mansion for me. All right. The Stark Mansion on the cliffs in Malibu. Uh, one, it ends up getting destroyed by missiles. And two, it does look awesome. But, like, do you want that basement laboratory workshop? What are you doing with that? What am I doing with that, Brandon? Like, that. I don't know what I would do. There's a bunch of cars, and the driveway that goes up is really cool, but most of it is this workspace and all this equipment that you and I wouldn't be able to handle. I like that you went for it, though. I'm looking at probably, I don't know how much that place goes for, 80 million bucks on the cliffs in Malibu. Next, um, the mansion. Oh, Dan Vasco. Ooh, with a fancy verified check, especially these days, Dan. The mansion from Clue always looked cool to me. Also, Knives Out. He says, I'm sensing a theme. I am, too. Crazy old, uh, old-fashioned old houses where people are getting murdered. I love Clue. I've seen Clue a thousand times. I used to have a big thing for Yvette when I was a kid. But the house itself, um, it's got a butler, it's got a cook, it's got a maid. They all end up dead. But scary, dreary, not a lot of fun to be had there. There's weapons around. I, I, like, I like to visit the Clue house. I don't want to live there. Lastly, there it is. All right, Nolan says Home Alone. North Suburbs of Chicago, Wilmette, Winnetka. I, I'm out on this one. I'm out. It's a giant, beautiful, picturesque red brick house. The thing's massive. It looks like it's like an eight-bedroom. But just hear me out. Detached garage, not ideal, especially in Chicago. It's going to be five degrees, and you're going to have to walk out to your car. Detached garage. Unfinished basement. The McAllister's basement sucks. That's why the wet bandits get torn up going through there. There's a 1915 furnace. There's the washing machine. There's, it, there's nails in the stairs. Terrible basement. Bad power lines, which you don't like for sight lines because they fall down. And everybody likes that room that Kevin was sleeping in the night before they leave. That room is complete BS. It is an attic bedroom that looks like it's uninsulated. That, that, that's, that room's going to be two degrees up there. It's freezing where the McAllisters live. That room is, is, is a fallacy. There's no way you could live up there. It'd be so cold. It's just these bare ceiling boards running up and down the city. I'm passing on the McAllister's house. Plus, it must be under like the O'Hare flight path or something because they get to the airport in about two minutes to make that flight. So you're going to have a lot of overhead noise. Plus, you got the, the South Bend Strangler next door. Plus, there's a crime spree going on throughout. It's just, the McAllister's house looks great on paper. Not great in reality. But you guys are great. That was really good submissions. We can pick that up any day we want. Maybe we get closer to the holidays, we'll talk more about the McAllister's house. Am I wrong? Am I wrong about the McAllister's house? I'm just not feeling it that much. 
You know what I am feeling though? Um, Michael Flynn, what else we got? Did I miss anything, Flynn? We, uh, no, you didn't. I can let you know Mount Crumpet is the mountain on which the Grinch lives, and Dump It to Crumpet is the uh, way the Who's dispose of their trash. They throw it in the thing, hit the button, and it shoots up to the mountain, and I believe that's also how the Grinch either gets back to his cave or from huh. his cave. He goes on a so, catapult with a bunch of trash? Yes. A high likelihood for injury, I would think, getting getting back there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. Also, I got to say, I love the Home Alone house. It's, it's the first place that my mind went to when we talked about this topic. And I, I get what you're saying, but the I love the interior of the house. And there are a whole bunch of things. There's a separate entrance to the basement, albeit crappy. My house has yeah, one of those, yeah. too. It leads down to the bars. That's pretty cool. Mm. Uh, it has a laundry chute, which I have in my house, too. And that prevents the kids from having their clothes all over the place. Also, the really cool thing, there's two staircases coming from the second floor. There's the one everybody knows that Kevin yep. slays down and that Joe Pesci's standing yep. at the bottom of, but there's a staircase that goes right into the kitchen from upstairs. It, you can mm -hmm. see it in the opening scene when Fuller's getting his nose squished. Uh, yeah. It. Wow. Well, yep. the, what, what we really learned there is that you have a lot of the same amenities as the McAllister house, so I want the <laughs> Flynn house because we already know you have an intercom system in your house, so that's my choice. Laundry suit? Just dunking on us, Flynn. I'm really impressed. It's <laughs> yeah, incredible. It, uh, Do you have a central vacuum system as well? Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> no. Maybe for Christmas. Uh, we're almost there, Flynn. It's almost Thanksgiving. Appreciate you. That is our brand awareness. We will see you tomorrow on what is likely a Josh Allen Tuesday. Thank you, my friend. Um, but before we go, got to get the darts. Go to the Sky Cam and go get a dart. I'm going to throw a number, and there will be a corresponding topic for that number, which I will just ad lib some sort of little little spiel on. Here it is, Uncle Sam, Stars and Stripes. Today's number for the random dart rant is... Is it my number 14? No, that will be squarely into number 11, like uh, Julian Edelman. What do we have for number 11 today? Oh, man, I have, have you heard about Days of Our Lives? All right, so uh, I was on Days of Our Lives for three and a half years, for real. It's not like some punchline. I moved to L.A. because I wanted to be an actor, and I got a job on Days of Our Lives, like the venerable sand through the hourglass, the thing that your babysitter or your mom used to watch back in the 80s or 90s. And I played Philip Kyriakis, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me for a million different t reasons. The heavy heart is because my father on the show... I was Philip Kyriakis, and my father was Victor Kyriakis, who is this like luminary of the soap opera world as a character, and he was played by John Aniston. John Aniston, um, in the soap game for decades, really respected actor, older gentleman, played my father, and sure enough, in real life, he is the father of Jennifer Aniston. So I just remember, you know, I started there in 2000. 2000 Three, and that was prime Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt's, just you know, biggest thing in the world. And when you're stupid and you're young and you're 24, you're thinking, oh man, like I'm gonna certainly become friends with John Aniston because he plays my dad on the show, and he's gonna invite me over for for dinner, and it's gonna be myself and Brad and Jennifer, and you know, we're gonna take over the world together. And then that never happened. Um, but I have amazing memories of John Aniston, and he used to just. 
I was so nervous when I started that show and I was so bad at the beginning. I just was, I couldn't even stand still and it just all those bad cliches about bad acting. I didn't know what to do with my hands and just awful. And he was really cool and he was really supportive and he would tell jokes on set. Like he would just stop in the middle between takes and all the crew guys would listen and all the, the cast would listen and he would just bring the house down. Some of the jokes you probably wouldn't tell now, but in 2003, he told them and they were really funny. So uh, John Aston passed away last week and I saw the news and I was really sad about it because he was someone who was there for me when I was young. And you know, a lot of people come out of the woodwork, oh man, Victor Kyriakis, I used to watch that show when I was a kid. I used to watch that show with my sister and I remember Victor and he was always, you know, he's kind of like a villain and sometimes, but other times supportive. And he was just great to me. Just loved working with him. Three and a half years as my dad and um, did a lot of scenes together and I was super inexperienced and he could have easily been like, who the hell is this neophyte doesn't belong on the set with me, but he was totally cool. And we'd like run lines together and tell jokes and I just loved him. I was really sad to see that he passed away. Uh, sad for, you know, his daughter, of course, but just sad for myself too. Missed him. He played a really important role in a very small part of my early uh, adulthood. So. John Aniston, wherever you are, miss you. Thank you. And uh, thank all you guys for watching, listening. We will be back. Uh, it's Josh Allen week. It's also Bill's Lions week, which all of a sudden is kind of a pretty tasty game. I'm into that. Goodbye from the basement. Show up tomorrow. We'll be here. We're always here. Thanks, you guys. Love you. See you.